I suspect the folks who put together the lectionary readings for this week anticipated that we'd be in the middle of our annual stewardship campaign and that the preacher would take advantage of that and make a full-throated plea from the pulpit. I mean, look at it. We have the example of the widow in Mark's gospel giving her last alms, her last copper coins to the temple. And in Kings, we have the sacrifice of another widow in her, giving her last bit of bread. And then the jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord. I mean, these are tailor-made for a sermon on sacrificial giving. But the folks who put the lectionary together couldn't have anticipated that we'd be mourning a second mass shooting in this country in two weeks. They couldn't have seen the wildfires burning across California again, an inferno that's still out of control as it devours the countryside. They couldn't have imagined a deeply divided country still reeling from a recent election that continues tearing families, communities, and even churches apart. Through the lens of current events, today's readings require us, I think, to go deeper. We need to see how we can keep hope in what for many might seem like a time of darkness. How we can keep hope in what may seem like a time of darkness. And we start with the Old Testament reading from 1 Kings. Here we have a widow who has no hope. The darkness consumes her. The drought that's been going on for so long has taken its toll, as tragedy always does, on the weakest in society. While Ahab and Jezebel feast, she's gathering a few sticks so she may go home, eat a little bread with her son, and die. This is absolute darkness, with no hope for the future. And it takes Elijah, it takes God's witness, to give her hope. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, he says, and the jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail, and they don't. And the widow and her household ate for many days. This widow had to learn to dare to hope. And it was only Elijah's witness in his God that let her look up from her despair and eat and live. Then in the Gospel of Mark, we have another widow who gives her last penny, her two alms, and Jesus acknowledges her sacrifice, saying, This poor widow has put more, in all the, put more than all those who are contributing because she gave her all, her last two alms, all that she had to live on. Now, I don't think Jesus actually stood over her watching her make her offering, but I think it was what he heard that let him know. He heard the plink, plink of two coins as they struck the mouth of the brass jar and maybe rolled around a bit before landing with the rest of the offering with a final quiet ping. Now imagine with me for a minute that these two widows, the one in First Kings and in Mark, are the same person. That they are somehow connected across the centuries, and this widow has moved from not trusting God in times of darkness, of being ready to prepare her final meal and die, to now she's giving her all for God. She's putting her complete faith, her last penny, in God. She no longer needs Elijah to witness to God, but is herself that witness. And Jesus proclaims that she's given more than all the others. She trusts in God in times of darkness. Her hope is completely bound to God. 
As we are together here, some 6,000 refugees have left a sports arena in Mexico City, where they spent much of the past week and are headed north to Tijuana in the next leg of their 2,600-mile journey. This is the largest of several caravans of mostly women and children fleeing the gang-related violence of their home countries in pursuit of a better life. This mass movement of people strikes me as almost biblical in scope, evoking the Israelites' journey out of Egypt and toward the Promised Land. And as you may be aware, we're not preparing the warmest welcome for these refugees. And in spite of the many challenges they are facing as they slowly journey on foot, the heat, the rain, the ongoing danger posed by gangs along the way, they move on. They continue on in spite of the uncertainty of what will happen once they get here. And when you listen to why they move on, you can't help but hear the hope that's in their hearts. We're traveling to find a better future for my daughters, says a 20-something-year-old couple with their two infant daughters. I left my country to find a better life, says a 15-year-old boy. The plan is just to stay alive and then to let our children have a better future so they can run freely without fear, says a 30-something-year-old woman. Now, they have left what was almost an unimaginably traumatic life and are wandering across miles and days with no clear future. And instead of grumbling or being fearful, there's our voices filled with hope. They are propelled by a dream. And God is woven into that against all odds dream. Again and again, the refugees claim that God will make something happen. Like the widow at the temple, they put all their trust, their two alms, in God. Today we recognize the veterans who made so many sacrifices in defense of our dream, our American dream. We especially lift up those who gave all for their country. We lift them up, they and their families who support them, for the freedom we share, including our freedom to be here worshiping together. We're also observing the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. Now, war of any kind is filled with moments of darkness, of despair, of when hope seems very distant. The First World War stands out in its unprecedented level of carnage and destruction. Thanks to new military technologies like mustard gas and flamethrowers and tanks and machine guns and the horrors of trench warfare, the war claimed the lives of more than 16 million people. In written and verbal accounts from the war, it is described as a kind of literal hell on earth, where death and disease coexisted with moments of intense fighting and long stretches of mind-numbing boredom. It's a place where hope increasingly went to die as both sides went through nearly 90% of their fighting-age men. It's also remembered as our country's inauguration as a global power, as we help the Allied powers push back and finally defeat the enemy. In the middle of this great darkness, though, is remembered one magical moment when humanity overcame its division and a miracle occurred. Remembered as the Christmas truce, it was a day early in the war when soldiers on both sides spontaneously stopped fighting against their commander's orders and crossed no man's land to celebrate Christmas together. And it's said to have started with soldiers on the German side singing some Christmas carols within earshot of their English counterparts.
Both sides joined in on the familiar tunes and eventually found the courage to join each other for a few hours in celebrating Christ's birth. I think that's amazing. And while some of the story may have been exaggerated in the past century, I love that it's Christmas, the day we celebrate our Savior's birth, that started it all. Isn't it just like God to do that? To come to a bunch of young men in bitterly cold trenches and with a few verses of O come all ye faithful or O Tannenbaum, get them to forget their divisions and put down their weapons and celebrate? A century later, we've got a lot to learn from these young men in the trenches. God's waiting for us to hear the faint traces of those hymns and rise up. We rise up over our divisions cross our no-man's land to find the humanity in each other. And we celebrate. We celebrate God as the source of all our hopes in the darkness. But we can't go halfway in. Like the almsgiving widow in the temple, we have to go all in to sacrifice everything we have. Sacrifice like the soldiers we honor today. Like the young men in the trenches a century ago. I pray to God I won't be up here next week or the week after remembering another inhuman attack on each other, another sign of our division, but that we start today with the healing, that we are united in voices of hope, of unity. For as the psalm today reminds us, happy are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Happy indeed are we whose hope is in the Lord, our God. Amen.